section sixty one of curiosities of literature volume three this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org curiosities of literature volume three by isaac disraeli life and habits of a literary antiquary oldis and his manuscripts part one such a picture may be furnished by some unexpected materials which my inquiries have obtained of oldest this is a sort of personage little known to the wits who write more than they read and to their volatile votaries who only read what the wits write it is time to vindicate the honours of the few whose laborious days enrich the stores of national literature not by the duplicates but the supplements of knowledge a literary antiquary is that idler whose life is passed in a perpetual voyage autour de ma chambre fervent in sagacious diligence instinct with the enthusiasm of curious inquiry critical as well as erudite he has to arbitrate between contending opinions to resolve the doubtful to clear up the obscure and to grasp at the remote so busied with other times and so interested for other persons than those about him that he becomes the inhabitant of the visionary world of books he counts only his days by his acquisitions and may be said by his original discoveries to be the creator of facts often exciting the gratitude of the literary world while the very name of the benefactor has not always descended with the inestimable labours such is the man whom we often find leaving when he dies his favourite volumes only an incomplete project and few of this class of literary men have escaped the fate reserved for most of their brothers voluminous works have been usually left unfinished by the death of the authors and it is with them as with the planting of trees of which johnson has forcibly observed there is a frightful interval between the seed and timber and he admirably remarks what i cannot forbear applying to the labours i am now to describe he that calculates the growth of trees has the remembrance of the shortness of life driven hard upon him he knows that he is doing what will never benefit himself and where he rejoices to see the stem rise is disposed to repine that another shall cut it down the days of the patriotic count mazzuchelli were freely given to his national literature and six invaluable folios attest the gigantic force of his immense erudition yet these only carry us through the letters a and b and though mazzuchelli had finished for the press other volumes the torpor of his descendants has defrauded europe of her claims Footnote his intention was to publish a general classified biography of all the italian authors End of footnote. the abbe gouget who had designed a classified history of his national literature in the eighteen volumes we possess could only conclude that of the translators and commence that of the poets 
two other volumes in manuscript have perished that great enterprise of the benedictines the histoire littéraire de la france now consists of twelve large quartos and the industry of its successive writers has only been able to carry it to the twelfth century david clement designed the most extensive bibliography which had ever appeared but the diligent life of the writer could only proceed as far as h the alphabetical order which so many writers of this class have adopted has proved a mortifying memento of human life tiraboski was so fortunate as to complete his great national history of italian literature but unhappily for us thomas wharton after feeling his way through the darker ages of our poetry in planning the map of the beautiful land of which he had only a pisgah sight expired amidst his volumes the most precious portion of wharton's history is but the fragment of a fragment oldys among this brotherhood has met perhaps with a harder fate his published works and the numerous ones to which he contributed are now highly appreciated by lovers of books but the larger portion of his literary labours have met with the sad fortune of dispersed and probably of wasted manuscripts oldys's manuscripts or o m as they are sometimes designated are constantly referred to by every distinguished writer on our literary history i believe that not one of them could have given us any positive account of the manuscripts themselves they have indeed long served as the solitary sources of information but like the well at the wayside too many have drawn their waters in silence oldys is chiefly known by the caricature of the facetious gross a great humorist both with pencil and with pen it is in a posthumous scrap-book where gross deposited his odds and ends and where there is perhaps not a single story which is not satirical our lively antiquary who cared more for rusty armour than for rusty volumes would turn over these flams and quips to some confidential friend to enjoy together a secret laugh at their literary intimates his eager executor who happened to be his bookseller served up the poignant hash to the public as gross's olio footnote he says in his advertisement it will be difficult to ascertain whether he meant to give them to the public or only to reserve them for his own amusement and the entertainment of his friends many of these anecdotes are evidently mere loose scandal End of footnote the delineation of oldys is sufficiently overcharged for the nonce one prevalent infirmity of honest oldys his love of companionship over too social a glass sends him down to posterity in a grotesque attitude and mr alexander chalmers who has given us the fullest account of oldys has inflicted on him something like a sermon on a state of intoxication alas oldys was an outcast of fortune footnote 
gross narrates his early history thus his parents dying when he was very young he soon squandered away his small patrimony when he became at first an attendant in lord oxford's library and afterwards librarian at whose death he was obliged to write for the booksellers for a subsistence in the footnote and the utter simplicity of his heart was guileless as a child's ever open to the designing the noble spirit of a duke of norfolk once rescued the long-lost historian of raleigh from the confinement of the fleet where he had existed probably forgotten by the world for six years it was by an act of grace that the duke safely placed oldys in the herald's college as norroy king of arms footnote mr john taylor the son of oldys's intimate friend has furnished me with this interesting anecdote oldys as my father informed me was many years in quiet obscurity in the fleet prison but at last was spirited up to make his situation known to the duke of norfolk of that time who received oldys's letter while he was at dinner with some friends the duke immediately communicated the contents to the company observing that he had long been anxious to know what had become of an old though an humble friend and was happy by that letter to find that he was alive he then called for his gentleman a kind of humble friend whom noblemen used to retain under that name in those days and desired him to go immediately to the fleet to take money for the immediate need of oldys to procure an account of his debts and discharge them oldys was soon after either by the duke's gift or interest appointed norroy king of arms and i remember that his official regalia came into my father's hands at his death in the life of oldys by mr a chalmers the date of this promotion is not found my accomplished friend the rev j dalloway has obligingly examined the records of the college by which it appears that oldys had been norfolk herald extraordinary but not belonging to the college was appointed per saltum norroy king of arms by patent may fifth seventeen fifty five gross says the patronage of the duke occasioned a suspicion of his being a papist though i think really without reason this for a while retarded his appointment it was underhand propagated by the heralds who were vexed at having a stranger put in upon them End of footnote but oldys like all shy and retired men had contracted peculiar habits and close attachments for a few both these he could indulge at no distance he liked his old associates in the purlieus of the fleet whom he facetiously dignified as his rulers and there as i have heard with the grotesque whim of a herald established the dragon club companionship yields the poor man unpurchased pleasures oldys busied every morning among the departed wits and the learned of our country reflected some image from them of their wit and learning to his companions a secret history as yet untold an ancient wit which cleared of the rust seemed to him brilliant as the modern 
it is hard however for a literary antiquary to be caricatured and for a herald to be ridiculed about an unseemly reeling with the coronet of the princess caroline which looked unsteady on the cushion to the great scandal of his brethren a circumstance which could never have occurred at the burial of a prince or princess as the coronet is carried by clarencier and not by norroy oldys's deep potations of ale however gave me an opportunity of bestowing on him the honour of being the author of a popular anacreontic song mr taylor informs me that oldys always asserted that he was the author of the well-known song busy curious thirsty fly and as he was a rigid lover of truth i doubt not that he wrote it my own researches confirm it i have traced this popular song through a dozen of collections since the year seventeen forty the first in which i find it in the later collections an original inscription has been dropped which the accurate ritson has restored without however being able to discover the writer in seventeen forty it is said to have been made extempore by a gentleman occasioned by a fly drinking out of his cup of ale the accustomed potion of poor oldys footnote the beautiful simplicity of this anacreontic has met the unusual fate of entirely losing its character by an additional and incongruous stanza in the modern editions by a gentleman who has put into practice the unallowable liberty of altering the poetical and dramatic compositions of acknowledged genius to his own notion of what he deems morality but in works of genius whatever is dull ceases to be moral the fly of oldest may stand by the fly of gray for melancholy tenderness of thought it consisted only of these two stanzas busy curious thirsty fly drink with me and drink as i freely welcome to my cup couldst thou sip and sip it up make the most of life you may life is short and wears away both alike are mine and thine hastening quick to their decline thine's a summer mine no more though repeated to threescore threescore summers when they're gone will appear as short as one End of footnote. gross however though a great joker on the peculiarities of oldys was far from insensible to the extraordinary acquisitions of the man his knowledge of english books has hardly been exceeded gross too was struck by the delicacy of honour and the unswerving veracity which so strongly characterised oldys of which he gives a remarkable instance footnote this anecdote should be given in justice to both parties and in gross's words who says he was a man of great good nature honour and integrity particularly in his character of an historian nothing i firmly believe would ever have biassed him to insert any fact in his writings he did not believe or to suppress any he did of this delicacy he gave an instance at a time when he was in great distress after his publication of the life of sir walter raleigh some booksellers thinking his name would sell a piece they were publishing offered him a considerable sum to father it which he rejected with the greatest indignation End of footnote 
we are concerned in ascertaining the moral integrity of the writer whose main business is with history at a time when our literary history excepting in the solitary labour of anthony wood was a forest with neither road nor pathway oldys fortunately placed in the library of the earl of oxford yielded up his entire days to researches concerning the books and the men of the preceding age his labours were then valueless their very nature not yet ascertained and when he opened the treasures of our ancient lore in the british librarian it was closed for want of public encouragement our writers then struggling to create an age of genius of their own forgot that they had had any progenitors or while they were acquiring new modes of excellence that they were losing others to which their posterity or the national genius might return to know and to admire only the literature and the tastes of our own age is a species of elegant barbarism footnote we have been taught to enjoy the two ages of genius and of taste the literary public are deeply indebted to the editorial care the taste and the enthusiasm of mr singer for exquisite reprints of some valuable writers End of footnote. spencer was considered nearly as obsolete as chaucer milton was veiled by oblivion and shakespeare's dramas were so imperfectly known that in looking over the playbills of seventeen eleven and much later i find that whenever it chanced that they were acted they were always announced to have been written by shakespeare massinger was unknown and johnson though called immortal in the old playbills lay entombed in his two folios the poetical era of elizabeth the eloquent age of james i and the age of wit of charles the second were blanks in our literary history bish compiling an art of poetry in seventeen eighteen passed by in his collection spenser and the poets of his age because their language is now become so obsolete that most readers of our age have no ear for them and therefore shakespeare himself is so rarely cited in my collection the best english poets were considered to be the modern a taste which is always obstinate all this was nothing to oldys his literary curiosity anticipated by half a century the fervour of the present day this energetic direction of all his thoughts was sustained by that life of discovery which in literary researches is starting novelties among old and unremembered things contemplating some ancient tract as precious as a manuscript or revelling in the volume of a poet whose passport of fame was yet yet delayed in its way or disinterring the treasure of some secluded manuscript whence he drew a virgin extract or raising up a sort of domestic intimacy with the eminent in arms in politics and in literature in this visionary life life itself with oldest was insensibly gliding away its cares almost unfelt the life of a literary antiquary partakes of the nature of those who having no concerns of their own busy themselves with those of others oldest lived in the back ages of england 
he had crept among the dark passages of time till like an old gentleman usher he seemed to be reporting the secret history of the courts which he had lived in he had been charmed among their masks and revels had eyed with astonishment their cumbrous magnificence when knights and ladies carried on their mantles and their cloth of gold ten thousand pounds worth of ropes of pearls and buttons of diamonds or descending to the gay court of the second charles he tattled merry tales as in that of the first he had painfully watched like a patriot or a loyalist a distempered era he had lived so constantly with these people of another age and had so deeply interested himself in their affairs and so loved the wit and the learning which are often bright under the rest of antiquity that his own uncourtly style is embrowned with the tint of a century old but it was this taste and curiosity which alone could have produced the extraordinary volume of sir walter raleigh's life a work richly inlaid with the most curious facts and the juxtaposition of the most remote knowledge to judge by its fulness of narrative it would seem rather to have been the work of a contemporary footnote gibbon once meditated a life of raleigh and for that purpose began some researches in that memorable era of our english annals after reading oldys's he relinquished his design from a conviction that he could add nothing new to the subject except the uncertain merit of style and sentiment End of footnote it was an advantage in this primeval era of literary curiosity that those volumes which are now not even to be found in our national library where certainly they are perpetually wanted and which are now so excessively appreciated were exposed on stalls through the reigns of anne and the two georges footnote the british museum is extremely deficient in our national literature the gift of george the third's library has however probably supplied many deficiencies the recent bequest of the grenville collection and the constant search made of late years for these relics of early literature by the officers of our great national library has greatly altered the state of the collection since the above was written s dash editor End of footnote. Oldys encountered no competitor cased in the invulnerable mail of his purse to dispute his possession of the rarest volume. On the other hand, our early collector did not possess our advantages. He could not fly for instant aid to a Biographia Britannica. He had no history of our poetry, nor even of our drama. Oldys could tread in no man's path, for every soil about him was unbroken ground. He had to create everything for his own purposes. We gather fruit from trees which others have planted, and too often we but pluck and eat. Nulla die sine linea was his sole hope while he was accumulating masses of notes and as oldys never used his pen from the weak passion of scribbling but from the urgency of preserving some substantial knowledge or planning some future inquiry he amassed nothing but what he wished to remember even the minuter pleasures of settling a date or classifying a title page were enjoyments to his incessant pen 
everything was acquisition this never-ending business of research appears to have absorbed his powers and sometimes to have dulled his conceptions no one more aptly exercised the tact of discovery he knew where to feel in the dark but he was not of the race that race indeed had not yet appeared among us who could melt into their corinthian brass the mingled treasures of research imagination and philosophy we may be curious to inquire where our literary antiquary deposited the discoveries and curiosities which he was so incessantly acquiring they were dispersed on many a fly-leaf in occasional memorandum-books in ample marginal notes on his authors they were sometimes thrown into what he calls his parchment budgets or bags of biography of botany of obituary of books relative to london and other titles and bags which he was every day filling footnote gross says his mode of composing was somewhat singular he had a number of small parchment bags inscribed with the names of the persons whose lives he intended to write into these bags he put every circumstance and anecdote he could collect and from thence drew up his history sometimes his collections seem to have been intended for a series of volumes for he refers to my first volume of tables of the eminent persons celebrated by english poets to another of poetical characteristics among those manuscripts which i have seen i find one mentioned apparently of a wide circuit under the reference of my biographical institutions part third containing a catalogue of all the english lives with historical and critical observations on them but will our curious or our whimsical collectors of the present day endure without impatience the loss of a quarto manuscript which bears this rich condiment for its title of london libraries with anecdotes of collectors of books remarks on booksellers and on the first publishers of catalogues oldys left ample annotations on fuller's worthies and winstanley's lives of the poets and on langbaine's dramatic poets the late mr boswell showed me a fuller in the malone collection with stevens's transcriptions of oldys's notes which malone purchased for forty three pounds at stevens's sale but where is the original copy of oldys though winstanley i think also reposes in the same collection the langbaine is far famed and is preserved in the british museum the gift of dr birch it has been considered so precious that several of our eminent writers have cheerfully passed through the labour of a minute transcription of its numberless notes in the history of the fate and fortune of books that of oldys's langbaine is too curious to omit oldys may tell his own story which i find in the museum copy page three hundred and thirty six and which copy appears to be a second attempt for of the first langbaine we have this account 
when i left london in seventeen twenty four to reside in yorkshire i left in the care of the rev mr burridge's family with whom i had several years lodged among many other books goods etc a copy of this langbane in which i had wrote several notes and references to further knowledge of these poets when i returned to london seventeen thirty i understood my books had been dispersed and afterwards becoming acquainted with mr t coxeter i found that he had bought my langbane of a bookseller who was a great collector of plays and poetical books this must have been of service to him and he has kept it so carefully from my sight that i never could have the opportunity of transcribing into this i am now writing in the notes i had collected in that footnote at the bodleian library i learnt by a letter with which i am favoured by the rev dr bliss that there is an interleaved gildan's lives and characters of the dramatic poets with corrections which once belonged to coxeter who appears to have intended a new edition whether coxeter transcribed into his gildan the notes of oldys's first langbane is worth inquiry coxeter's conduct though he had purchased oldys's first langbane was that of an ungenerous miser who will quarrel with a brother rather than share in any acquisition he can get into his own hands to coxeter we also owe much he suggested dodsley's collection of old plays and the first tolerable edition of massinger oldys could not have been employed in lord oxford's library as mr chalmers conjectures about seventeen twenty six for here he mentions that he was in yorkshire from seventeen twenty four to seventeen thirty this period is a remarkable blank in oldys's life my learned friend the rev joseph hunter has supplied me with a note in the copy of fuller in the malone collection preserved at the bodleian those years were passed apparently in the household of the first earl of malton who built wentworth house there all the collections of the antiquary gascoigne with seven great chests of manuscripts some as ancient as the time of the conquest were condemned in one solemn sacrifice to vulcan the ruthless earl being impenetrable to the prayers and remonstrances of our votary to english history oldys left the earl with little satisfaction as appears by some severe strictures from his gentle pen End of footnote the first langbane with additions by coxeter was bought at the sale of his books by theophilus cibber on the strength of these notes he prefixed his name to the first collection of the lives of our poets which appeared in weekly numbers and now form five volumes written chiefly by shields an amanuensis of dr johnson shields has been recently castigated by mr gifford these literary jobbers nowhere distinguished coxeter's and oldys's curious matter from their own such was the fate of the first copy of langbane with oldys's notes but the second is more important at an auction of some of oldys's books and manuscripts of which i have seen a printed catalogue dr birch purchased this invaluable copy for three shillings and sixpence footnote 
this copy was lent by dr birch to the late bishop of dromore who with his own hand carefully transcribed the notes into an interleaved copy of langbaine divided into four volumes which as i am informed narrowly escaped the flames and was injured by the water at a fire at northumberland house his lordship when he went to ireland left this copy with mr nicholls for the use of the projected edition of the tatler the spectator and the guardian with notes and illustrations of which i think the tatler only has appeared and to which his lordship contributed some valuable communications End of footnote. such was the value attached to these original researches concerning our poets and of which to obtain only a transcript very large sums have since been cheerfully given the museum copy of langbaine is in oldys's handwriting not interleaved but overflowing with notes written in a very small hand about the margins and inserted between the lines nor may the transcriber pass negligently even its corners otherwise he is here assured that he will lose some useful date or the hint of some curious reference the enthusiasm and diligence of oldys in undertaking a repetition of his first lost labour proved to be infinitely greater than the sense of his unrequited labours such is the history of the escapes the changes and the fate of the volume which forms the groundwork of the most curious information concerning our elder poets and to which we must still frequently refer End of section sixty one